0: Hi, and thanks for listening to Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. We're starting a new series of messages today called Grace, the Wellspring of All Godliness. If you've listened to Christian teaching much, you've probably heard the definition of grace as unmerited favor. Well, that's a good definition, but does it tell us all we need to know? Is there more to the story? Today, John Fonville looks at grace from a different angle and shows us that grace is also the saving power from Jesus, and it's what gives his followers power to live the Christian life. Here's part two of Grace, the Wellspring of All Godliness.
1: You see, original sin, the doctrine of original sin, it doesn't just primarily refer to the first act originally committed by Adam and Eve. Rather, this truth of Scripture refers to the fallen condition in which all men are born, the corruption of the entire human race. We sin because we are sinners. We do not, listen, sinning does not make us sinners. We sin because there is a corrupt, fallen condition in us because of original sin, because of the fall. And so it is our condition of sin that determines our acts of sin. Therefore, this means we need a mediator who will save us not only from the guilt of sin, but from the enslavement and corruption of sin. Paul says that the grace of God, Jesus, has appeared with saving power for the purpose, verse 14, to redeem me and to cleanse, purify me. He says that our great God and Savior gave himself for us. We'll come back to this. Substitutionary atonement. Gave himself for us, for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealots to do godly works in their life. You see, the grace of God, which brings salvation, as I've said, not only justifies, it sanctifies. It liberates us from our bondage to sin. It cleanses us from our defilement of sin and then frees and enables us to pursue godliness. You see, the grace of God, the salvation of Jesus. Jesus is not only a Savior from guilt. He is a Savior who redeems. He is a Savior who cleanses. And He is a Savior by the Holy Spirit who enables So the gift of grace is redeeming, cleansing, and enabling. It is liberating us from the bondage to sin, cleansing us from our defilement of sin. And it is always educating me. Chapter 2, verse 12, training, educating me to live a godly life. Why? Because I have been saved to do good works. That is why I'm saved, to do good works, to live godly life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul tells the Corinthians that the grace of God empowers him, listen, to behave in the world with holiness and godly sincerity rather than fleshly wisdom. That's a powerful testimony to the liberation of God's saving grace. Martin Luther, only he could say this. There's some things that he says. (laughs) We can't share what he says. If you want to see some funny things that he says, go to Luther Insult. (laughs) It's quite entertaining. But this is not an insult here. Just listen to what he says. He says, if these fires do not stir you, in other words, if the gospel of liberating you from the bondage of sin and cleansing you and enabling you to live a godly life, if this doesn't stir you to godly living, you are colder than cold. Ralph Erskine, the great 17th century Scottish preacher of marrow theology. If you're not familiar with marrow theology, get familiar with it. Like bone marrow, that marrow of the gospel. Read everything Ralph Erskine ever wrote. Listen to what he says in his day when he was fighting people who were charging him with preaching license. He says, the believer is delivered from the power of the law and the power of sin too. In other words, you're justified and sanctified. Having cast off the law as a covenant and finding nothing to satisfy and still his conscience, but the blood and righteousness of Christ, that satisfies divine justice. In other words, I only find my justification in the perfect work and life and person of Jesus. I can't find anything in me that'll present me before God justified but Jesus. That's what he says here. Second, as in this way, he finds rest from the curse of the law. There's no more condemnation. We love to talk with no condemnation. And there's not, there's none He says, but also some rest from the rule and dominion of sin. God has not only saved you from the penalty of sin, he says, but from the power of sin, the bondage of sin. He's liberating you. The salvation he brings is powerfully saving you from the power and bondage of sin. And he says, the faith of God's love in Christ does purify the believer's heart. It kills his natural enmity, and so much that he can attest to his sweet experience that the faith of the love of God in Christ is so far from leading him to licentiousness of life or encouraging laziness, he finds that the grace of God is the hottest fire in the world. To melt his heart for sin, and it is the strongest cord in the world to bind him to duty. That's powerful. This is exactly what Paul's teaching here. The grace of God has appeared in saving power to liberate me from the power and bondage and my love of sin so that I will begin to eschew that and pursue godliness in my life. And it is educating me to do this constantly. So anyone who claims that the gospel encourages or excuses their sin has neither understood it Or they've never truly believed it. Understanding the purpose of salvation as liberation from the power or bondage of sin destroys any notion of license. That's what Paul's teaching here. No one who claims to be a Christian, Paul says, who is a beneficiary of the saving power of God's grace that Christ has appeared to bring Nobody who claims to hold this can ever offer a reason not to live a godly life. Why? Because Paul says the purpose of that past appearance of grace is to save you not only from the penalty, but from the power. And so perhaps you've heard somebody say something like this, God likes to forgive, I like to sin. What a great relationship. You know what the problem with that view of salvation is? It's too limited a view of salvation. Salvation by grace alone does involve forgiveness from the penalty of sin, but salvation by grace alone also involves deliverance from the power of sin. And the wrong assumption behind that excuse for sinning and abusing the grace of Christ is that Christ appeared to save me from guilt, but he has left me under its power. And so you have half a Christ. But Paul teaches that what Christ has done for believers in his past appearing and the totality of God's saving action in Christ from his birth to ascension What he has done in the past is what presently is empowering, educating you to do in the present. That is to pursue godliness. Augustus Toplady teaches this in his famous hymn, Rock of Ages. He writes, be of sin the double cure. Save us us from sin's guilt and power. Walter Marshall, and perhaps the greatest book ever written on sanctification that I've found so far, his book is entitled The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification. He wrote it in the 1600s. And he wrote it to his church who was struggling to live a godly life and being brought under legalistic teaching, killing their consciences and losing their assurance so that nobody in his church was being driven to want to pursue godliness out of, because they were living in fear And so he preached these series of messages that has been turned into this book. And listen to what he says. He says, what a strange salvation it is if people who are saved do not care about holiness. Those who think they have received a salvation such as this abuse the grace of God in Christ and turn it into a license for sin. They want to be saved by Christ, but apart from Christ. They want to be saved, but they also want to remain in a fleshly state with a fleshly lifestyle. This is simply not how salvation works. They would take one part of his salvation and leave out the rest. However, Christ is not divided. You cannot have half a Christ. Trusting in Christ just to get you out of hell, but having no desire to want him to save you from your pollution and bondage is a presumption. It's not faith. True gospel faith makes you want to come to Christ with a great thirst in your soul by which you want to drink of the living water where Jesus said in John 7, that living water that flows from him to you is the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. True gospel faith makes you earnestly cry out to God from the depths of your soul, save me from my guilt and save me from the power that is over me and cleanse me from my defilement because I'm dirty and I want to be clean. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to make you do that. True gospel faith makes you pray like David Oh, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do you know what a steadfast spirit is? It's just not a clean heart. It is a heart that has been cleaned that wants to continually, day after day, never go back. I hate my sin. And I was filled with it last night because my stupid printer broke at 10 o'clock at night. And I was so mad I was kicking a stupid box in our house because I was so tired because I I had planned to go to bed at 8.30 so I could get up at 5 o'clock and pray and study and really be holy and ready for church. Instead, I woke up way late, stumbling into the kitchen, couldn't hardly see where I was going, running through the house, yelling at the kids this morning, get in the car. It's sin. True gospel faith results in confession of sin not repression of sin a person may have heard and assented to the gospel but until that gospel brings him to acknowledge and confess his sin that gospel has never taken root in his heart first john chapter 1 verses 9 and 10 john says if we confess our sins this is what christians do who are right with god This is what Christians do who are being saved from the power of sin. They confess their gross sin. If we confess our sins, here's the promise. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God would be unjust not to forgive me because of what Christ has done on my behalf. That's what makes me confess. Good news elicits confession. Because I know God's not going to pound me when I'm honest with him about what I am and what I do. John says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. His gospel it is not in us. Because it is educating me to turn from ungodliness and to pursue godliness with all my might. Because this is what I want. Godliness, Paul says then, is a major part of the salvation that Christ appeared to bring to sinners. This is its purpose. Lastly, not only understanding the nature, but also the scope of salvation destroys any notion of license. Look what Paul says lastly in verse 11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, to all people. The context makes it very clear that all people refers to all the different groups of people that he just mentioned in chapter 2, verses 2 through 10. Older men in the church, younger men in the church. Older women in the church, younger women in the church. Young men, slaves, everybody, in other words, everybody who professes to be a member of the visible church of Christ, professing salvation, this salvation has come to do this function, Nobody's left out, male and female, young and old, slave or free, every gender, every legal social status, every age. Salvation is not limited to one specific group or class of people in the church. This was a polemic against the false Jewish teachers who were saying, "Oh, we're Jewish and we've got Jesus and we've got our little legalistic rights to make us pure before God." And back in chapter one. Paul says, to the pure, all the things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In other words, he's saying these false teachers because of their legalistic religion are impure before God. They had nothing to boast about just because of their Jewish heritage. Salvation is not limited to a specific group or class of people. It's simply because they happen to be in that class or group of people. Salvation, Paul says, here's the point, has come to all so that all can be exhorted to live a godly life. It removes all excuses. Older women, older men, younger men, younger women, slaves are all exhorted to live a godly life because the gospel Paul knew is empowering the believer to do what the law demands. You see, This is what we talk about when we say the law can instruct but can't give, and the gospel gives what the law instructs but can't give. This is exactly where it comes from. The law demands, and the gospel freely gives what the law demands. And because everybody is included, nobody can make an excuse for their sin. The inclusion of all groups eliminates the possibility of somebody trying to make an excuse for not living a godly life. Paul says you cannot make a license for sin on two bases, the nature of salvation and the scope of it. It's the nature, its purpose is to deliver you from this and to make you be a godly person and the scope of it is that you're included. So you can't say that it was, well, it wasn't for me because I wasn't included in that class, I wasn't included in that group. There's no excuses. Paul's eliminating all excuses for license. A person who takes the gospel and uses it as an excuse to indulge in sin has never tasted the gospel. Never. So as we reflect on the glorious truth that the grace of God powerfully saves. There are two important lessons that I want to sum up with you as we finish. And here's the first. The content of the Christian message Paul says here, he sums up the Christian faith in this phrase, the grace of God. The grace of God, Jesus. The essence of the whole Christian faith and life is not virtue. It is the grace of God, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus and the gospel are the essence of the Christian faith in life. Virtue is its effect. It is not the center core. God's grace is grounded not in what people do, but in God's own willingness to show it. Or we could say, God does not grant salvation justification nor sanctification based on what people do but based on what Christ has done the grace of God has appeared salvation the whole thing is by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone no part of salvation in any sense is merited because we are fallen and none of us could ever make such a claim before God In fact, listen, God's grace cannot be described merely as unmerited favor because God's grace is not merely undeserved. God's grace must be defined as God's demerited favor. Why? Because despite my sinfulness, God does not give to me a sinner what I have merited or earned, which is his justice. Rather, he gives to me his favor, his grace, the divine favor of God on account of Christ. So with that in mind, here's the point. Godliness is not a means to an end. You don't live a virtuous life because that's not what saves you. Godliness is part of the end itself. You were saved and are being saved by the grace of God, by Jesus, whom the Holy Spirit takes all that perfection and applies it to you continuously. You were saved to live a godly life. That is the purpose of it. It is not, listen, godliness does not save you. It is the purpose for why you were saved. Do you understand the difference? If godliness saves you, salvation is not by grace. Godliness does not achieve your salvation. It is the fruit of the education of grace. And so salvation by grace alone entails, Paul says, not only deliverance from the condemnation of sin, but also from enslavement to sin. This is why Christ appeared to deliver me from this bondage so that I can want to live a godly life. That's grace. That is grace. Second, now listen carefully, do not harden your heart and ruin your soul forever by wrongly thinking that salvation by grace only consists in the forgiveness of sins. Walter Marshall said this to his church, he says, multitudes of people who live under the preaching of the gospel harden their hearts and ruin their souls forever. How do they do this? He says, They do it like this. They do not believe that salvation consists of a holy life. They only think that salvation consists of being forgiven of sin and being delivered from the penalty of hell. They want to escape eternal punishment, but they love their sinful lust so much they hate holiness. They do not want to be saved from slavery to sin. Paul says this is exactly why the grace of God has appeared to save us from the slavery, sin. So what is the remedy for license? How do you deal with it? What do you say to somebody who's using their profession of faith to excuse their ungodliness? The answer is not by denying salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. The answer is not by denying the grace of God that has appeared to bring salvation. The answer is not to give him rules and instructions and morality tips. The answer, Paul says, is by teaching what Paul teaches. What does he teach? Christ has appeared to bring salvation from the power of sin. License, people guilty of license, do not understand the nature of the purpose of Christ's appearance in his life. And so the answer to license is not less gospel, it is the whole gospel full out. Paul says you must trust Christ not only for the forgiveness of sin, but for the freedom from sin. Walter Marshall says, a half Christ, you can't say, Oh, Jesus, deliver me from the punishment of sin, but don't save me from my bondage to it because I love it and I don't want to give it up. He doesn't come with saving power to give you that kind of salvation. You have to trust in Christ not only to save you from the guilt of sin, but from the power of sin. The purpose, Paul says, of Christ's past appearance is what now empowers you in the present to pursue godliness. This does not mean perfection. Let us remember and reflect upon his past appearance, his whole life for me. His appearing of grace whose purpose of past appearance was to free me from the bondage and slavery to my sin so that I can now have the freedom to live a godly life in an ungodly world look to him look to Jesus and he'll save you for not only from the guilt but from the enslaving power it's good news isn't it
0: Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called Grace, the Wellspring of All Godliness, Part 2. More from the series coming up next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.